Well, Bill, when you were the booker and you showed up in Bill Watts Mid-South Wrestling, did some things that caught the fans' attention, certainly caught mine. You had JYD lose a loser-leave-town loser match, Mr. Wrestling 2 turn heel, put the belts on Midnight Express with uh, two leaving Magnum TA in the lurches there. And so you, so you had several things going on that kind of tied all together. What did JYD think about when you came in and told him he was going to leave the territory? You were putting him in a lose-or-leave town match. No, he knew he wasn't over like he was. I mean, when you when you lose your spot or, your, or, the, or the, 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 the sizzle ain't there, you know the steak ain't sizzling in the pan. So, I mean, he's a business guy. He said, well, where are you? Where, can you get me booked somewhere? I better think he got himself booked in the Carolinas. So that was no problem. He, he, he knew he was dead or, you know, didn't have the spark that he had five years before that. So And you end up bringing him back and right. getting some more life. And, and I told him that from the there. J.Y. will bring you back. We just have to rest. We didn't just fire him, fire him. What kind of conversation was it when you went to Mr. Wrestling 2 and told him you were going to turn him heel after he had spent so long over as a, as a baby? Well, I mean, I think he kind of enjoyed it because the, the, the thing, he, he, was, he should have been a heel. He's a heel to start with. I mean, he, he's a prick in the dressing room. He's, I, did, I never thought he was this or that, but he could work. And I kind of was stuck with him, so the thing we did was switch his ass heel. He was a heel anyway, so we did the deal with him and T.A., and T.A. had been his prodigy. That's what you do. The old guy gets jealous of the young guy, so that becomes a natural angle, and that's what that was. So when we did it, everybody made money. Everybody happy. I mean, it actually shot life back into him and yeah. got the attention back on him a little yeah. bit longer run. Right. Uh, in the meantime, you when you, you kind of used that to, to throw the tag belts on the Midnight Express, which Right. That's your plot to... Well, that was the, the, the heel theme. I mean, that Cornette had the heat as the, the manager, and Dennis and Bobby, nobody worked better than they did. So that, to me, was the natural way to go, and, and I took them there to do that, so that's what we did. In the meantime, you still had, uh, you had the Rock and Roll Express working Dr. Death and DBIC, and you had the Fantastic. You had a lot of Jake the Snake and the Barbarian. You had a lot of tag teams and you were kind of winding it down to pit the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, but we got a lot of interesting matchups on the way to that. Right. And, and you know, well, that, if, if life was a shoot, if that was a shoot, that's how it would go. But, you know, and I tried to think of it that way. So, uh, you, you know, I was ultimately going with Cornette and the Midnight Express was going to be the top team of it, hair lip to Pope. So that that's where we was working and everything else was just icing on the cake or just around it. But that was what we were shooting for, the Midnight and Cornette to be the top heel team. From, from a, a booker standpoint, what, what kind of achievement or satisfaction did you feel when, when you get to see the lines of screaming girls and everything coming into play and that feud just take off and... With the Rock Rock Express and the Midnight Express, I mean. Well, you have to say, well, I had seen it all before in Memphis, so I mean, I kind of, I expected that. I mean, you mean, there's no, when I took them to Louisiana, I knew they would get over. 
convincing Bill Watts that a guy five foot seven, two hundred and five pounds that Ricky Morton was back then, and now I don't think he's much bigger now. But to Watts that was a midget. He, he said, he come to me one day, he said, hey man, you ain't gonna fill this place up a midget. So I said, go count the money in the bank, Frank. And he, he couldn't really argue on that. And and they had never seen anything like the Rock and Roll Express or the Midnight Express. So that that was what my ace in the hole was gonna be. Because if they failed, I failed. And they weren't gonna fail because I made sure of that. So n- nobody, when they're making money, and and in real life, even in your window selling business, if you're making money, it doesn't seem to be so hard. But if you're not making money, it can get very drudgery sometimes. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Complain about you're. everything then. Right. You can and, and the wrestling business same way. It's no different. So when everybody's making money, everybody happy. And Bill Watts was happy because he was making a lot of money. All right, for all you chicken breeders out there, if you're looking for new chicken coops, you call Chicken Partners at telephone 336-391-9773, and you will get a hell of a deal, and you'll get 10% off, and tell them the superstar told you to call. Hey, uh, Bill Watson, Mid-South, had, had dropped the individual state titles a couple years before you got there. It looked like shortly after you got there, the created the Mid-South TV title medal. Was that your creation to come up with a secondary title? Well, yeah. Watts' deal was, I think, to give it to Dr. Death, Steve Williams, because he'd won medals in amateur wrestling and all that shit. So he wanted a medal, and he wanted to hang around Dr. Death's neck. Didn't work out that way. No, well, would never just circumstances it just never. But you know, if it been a shoot, it would have ended up that way. But no, so but that I think was the idea, Bill thinking. Yeah, and and y'all got ten weeks of great TV because there was a, a main event tournament match on TV every week. So got a little a lot of mileage out of right. me tuning in every week. Yeah, and you didn't have to be beating somebody to death every week. You were, you were wrestling. Right. It ended up with on Crusher Khrushchev. There was a lot of yeah. flag waving back then, so that... Fake Russia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, from Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, several of those. Looks like you uh, ended up putting on... You brought Terry Taylor in. You'd work with him in Memphis. Yeah, I thought the... Terry Taylor was one of them guys that was... I don't know if you would say underrated or the thing. I mean, he would. I thought he was a good-looking babyface and all babyface, and I and that's why I I thought he looked like babyfaces should look like. Right. He was a good-looking guy and he could wrestle. No, he couldn't beat Billy Robinson, but he could hold his own in a professional wrestling match, hold for hold with people. But and and I thought the kid should have been. Pushed a little farther. Pushed a little further, and Watts didn't see him the same way I did, and it was Watts's territory. And <laughs> Terry and Terry was sometimes his own worst enemy. He would say silly shit or do silly shit in the dressing room, like joking. But we're grown men here, and sometimes the grown man didn't think Terry's sense of humor was the same as theirs. But 
what the hell I liked him when I was the booker. And uh, he dropped the belt to Adrian Street. That's something we hadn't seen in that area at the time. How did that come about you, bringing him in? Street in? Yeah. I mean, I had never seen the gimmick gimmick. I mean, I knew who he was in England. He'd been around a long time. I mean, Street Half-Ass did that in England, but he didn't do it thinking he was, people would think he was gay. He said, when I started this gimmick, I got a, a blue jacket made, and it was gorgeous, I thought, and then and people, he said, and I'd wore it to the ring, and people would yell at, ah, you faggot, you this, you that, yeah, that. He said, and I never had that intention. He said, but the longer I did it, and the more I did it, well, I just, got more, you know, he wore pink, pink tights and pink that, and said, so I just went along with it, but I never started off wanting them to think I was gay, said, hell, my wife was my valet, so, but he was a tough son of a bitch too, so. Hey, you mentioned to me earlier that uh, he went to a school that shared some, some pretty impressive names on it. Oh, well, the, the wig in England with all them shooters are from there, Billy Robinson, Tony Charles, Street went. There was a whole lot of English guys went that came through Wigan that could all shoot. That's why they went. So, and Street was a lot tougher than he looked. All that bamby pamby way he did things. That was the work part of Street. Well, the the time you were there as a booker, you didn't wrestle much, but you came out about then and did a program with Adrian Street. Was that because? He needed somebody that could actually work and go hole for hole with him? Well, yeah, I mean, that, you know, it's like professional wrestling takes two. And if only one guy can wrestle it, that doesn't do him no good if he's, you know what I mean, if the other guy can't do it. So I thought, well, I can kind of hold my own a little bit in a professional wrestling match way, Adrian, so I can do hold for hold, and that's what we did. Because, you know, he... He was different how he looked and how he did things, and he wrestled. Well, uh, I guess it was time for you to go back to your full-time booking duties, and one of my favorites you brought in that you gave it to was uh, the Nature Boy. I'm not talking about Flair. <laughs> no, the, the, the Nature Boy, the, 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 when you talk to me, the Nature Boy, that his name don't come in it. Buddy Landale. Buddy Landale, William Munzer. That's another story, but anyway. Buddy Landale, another one that was his own worst enemy. Budro, I, 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 I don't know what made him tick. I mean, I loved the guy. I run him down the road with him. Do the, just, just, but he, he was a little crazy on some things, and, and it wasn't like he did a lot of drugs or drank a lot of alcohol. He was just a kind of goofy to start with. I'm not saying we didn't drink a few beers up and down the road or do. A, a, few other things here and there, especially Budro. But that was another thing. He made for good TV. Yes. Um, and and he was a good looking guy. Now, uh, and he could work. The other week I, I actually mentioned on, on the last podcast, I, I think I said that you never gave a belt to the snowman, but I have to correct myself. You actually did put that TV title on the snowman. What was you thinking there? Probably wasn't my thinking, it was probably Bill Watts, so that I, <laughs> how long did he keep it? I don't think he kept not it. Not two months, long. it wasn't long. Right. Probably not a 
full TV around there. Yeah, maybe a month. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, so that was, Bill had, and I understood his thinking. Louisiana, as you know, is full of all race. And why does it always have to be the white guy that comes out on top? Why can't a black guy come out on top or, or you know, whatever? And Bill looked, saw it that way. Look at JYD. Watch it made some money with him, so. Yeah. Hoping it, lightning struck twice. Right, yeah. So it'd be, but if you don't give another black, well, there was another one, George Wells. You, do you remember George Wells? Master G. Master G had the master lock. He got over. So... The, the territory was geared for a black guy to get over more than most because Watts did it. When I got there, all my friends were little and white, so I brought my friends, so that's what you got. You book, use Bill, Bill, Bill Dundee's the booker, you get Bill Dundee-sized guys. You know, well, most of them's bigger, but that's neither here nor there. But oh, Ricky and Robert, they were, you know, normal size. Magnum TA, there's another name that, that Watts had starting to build. And I came in and pushed him and got him over. Then he had that car wreck and he ended up the way he did. That's a shame. That was a guy that had a future in this business. Unbelievable, I thought. You know, I, I had seen Terry Allen in Florida and, you know, lower card. But when you got him in Mid-South and did everything with two and put the North American belt on him, that's when he right. blossomed. See, see, here's the thing that, that I try to explain to the young guys in the wrestling business, doesn't matter, 100 years ago, today, or next week. The monkey only dances as good as the guy making the monkey dance. And that's how it is. If the booker doesn't have nothing in his head for you, I don't give a damn how good a worker you are, you're not going nowhere. The guy with a pencil has to write the right things in the lines for you to be get over. And I like Buddy Landale, and Buddy was a fuck up, and and. But anyway, that's another story. But I liked him, and I was determined to get him over, and we got him over, and he could work. But he was his own worst enemy. Now, uh, interesting. You said something about. Uh thought Terry Taylor should get a bigger push. Watts fought you a little bit on that, but he ended up winning the North American belt and y'all had another TV tournament. How did, did Watts start to trust your, the money that he was getting at the gate that you could take him in the right direction and you're able to put it on Terry well, Taylor? Yeah, if a guy's making you more money than you've ever made in a week, would you not trust him a little bit? Absolutely. And I'd be already been there two years. Yeah. And so, you know, what what's had a, what would you say? His, he drove a Rolls Royce for Christ's sake. Goodness gracious. Right. And, and, and his house. Had planes, yeah. And he had an airplane. And his house was unbelievable. It was, uh, was the biggest house I ever saw. Well, Jerry Jarrett built that one up in Hendersonville. I think he just did it to piss Watts off. But anyway, that's another story. So, yeah, Bill Watts was a classy guy. Big redneck, but a classy guy. He drove a Rolls Royce. All the shit his wife had was nice. All the clothes, the clothes he wore when he was out was nice. His family was all, they were class act. So, can big rednecks make it? Yes, they can. 
Can they learn a little class? Yes, they can, because Bill Watts was all them things. And then he got to the end, and I guess, trusting my look. I told you, he told me, hey, you're not going to fill this place up a midget, are you? I said, well, kept the money in the bank, Frank. And uh, what can you say? Now, uh, finishing out the TV title, I don't remember everybody, but at some point, um, Dutch Mantell, Dick Slater, Jake Roberts, Butch Reed. I guess you, you put them on at different times. Anybody of those stand out or... Well, I mean, when when you till you get Magnum T A was the guy we was trying to build this for, and then the car wreck happened and all the thing. Bless his heart. So that was the thinking. Have whatever until T A can you know, but then he had the wreck and you know we all know what happened there. So it was going to be on him. He was a big, good-looking kid, and he could half-ass wrestle. He was, I liked him. But did, did you get the results you wanted when you, on the TV t- title medal, when you, when you put it on Dutch and Butchery, Jake Roberts, did they work out okay for you, or did you? No, they were just holding it till we got the right guy, yeah. like the TA was going to be. And then Butch Reed was a big black guy, but he was no JYD, and he was bigger than JYD. He had a better body. Yeah. But that doesn't, you have to have that little bit of charisma, and J.Y. had charisma. Certainly did. Hey, I cut you off there on the drop kick. You had one more. You... Well, you can't talk about drop kicks without mentioning uh, Rock and Roll Express. Ricky and Robert, they both did it. They did, did the fin, that was their finish, a double drop kick, so... You can't, you can't, that's, they, they did more drop kicks than anybody because they did them every night. That was the finale, so Rick, Ricky and Robert, the Rock and Roll Express, they were good at it too. And like I said, Bill Dundee was pretty fair. <laughs> Bill, I've got a couple fan questions. Brandon Harbour, longtime Memphis wrestling fan, artists, band members, band on and on. I had a question for you. Um, what's no... Why do you think Memphis Studio 5 Live Wrestling doesn't get any more credit or respect for um, being groundbreaking and innovative and, and doing the live TV show and the characters? Well, back when we was doing it, we was just making a TV show and it just happened to run for an hour and a half and that was just how it was back then. Nobody thought it was groundbreaking. The Grahams had Eddie Graham and Mike Graham and them, they had a TV show in Memphis, in, in, in Florida. The Crockett's was over there in the Carolinas. Vincent Sr. and Vince Jr. had New York going. So we was just making a TV show like everybody else. It just happened to be better than everybody <laughs> else's. And it, and it ran longer, so Nick Goulis had started it in the 50s, and Jerry Jarrett got in involved, and Jerry Jarrett's smart as anybody I know in the wrestling business. So we didn't always see eye to eye, but that's beside the point. He was a very smart guy in the wrestling business. He he created a lot of jobs for a lot of people, and he created a lot of, and I hate this word, characters, but you don't really create the characters. Somebody shows up like Handsome Jimmy, and you just use them right. That's, that's <laughs> the difference. He didn't create nothing. So that that that's my opinion of Memphis wrestling. Did did ever um, upset you or, or piss you off that, People stole your ideas or stole your guys, or was that just the nature of the business? Everybody 
Took, nature of the business. Kind of put your own twist to this angle and that angle. And yeah, just, uh, you know, when I went to Louisiana and took all them little guys, it was just, they hadn't seen him down there. It wasn't like, I was smart, but I knew it worked because we did it in Memphis for 30 years. That was what it was. And Bill Watts always used big guys, so it wasn't no, no genius in, you know, on anybody's part. They just hadn't seen it before. It was like when Elvis showed up, music changed. When we showed up in Louisiana, wrestling changed. Yeah, it sure did. Another question from Cordova, Tennessee. Another Brandon, Brandon Morris. Um, who, in your opinion, had the best drop kick? Oh, for a big guy, Rocky Johnson had a good drop kick. Coco Ware had a good drop kick. On occasions, Bill Dundee had a good <laughs> drop kick. Sometimes they were good, sometimes they weren't. Now, are you, how are we classifying good? How hard they hit you? How high they jumped before they hit you? I mean, there's all kinds of... How good it looked. How good it looked. That That's basically <laughs> what we're saying. Could knock your dick in the dirt and, and look great, or it could knock you out and look terrible. So, but like them names I just said were good. Coco was good. Rocky Johnson was good. Bill Dundee was fair on occasion. So, all right. Evansville, Indiana. I'm going to be there on uh, July the 28th at 311 Hillcrest Terrace. I guess that that means. And from 3 to 5, we're going to do a seminar. Seminar? Yeah, you're yeah. going to be at the um, the uh, St. James West Methodist Church. There's going to be an event, an uh, old school championship wrestling event that night. But from 3 to 5, all wrestlers, valets, managers, referees, can come out and they can get information on the admission uh, to come out and learn from Superstar himself. That's July 28th. Right. All right, if you're all out there and you're looking for a new roof, why don't you give Baker Roofing a call at 901-574-7775. And if you call that number, tell them the Superstar told you to call, you'll get 10% off your new roof. Bill, we were talking about today's wrestling and me not being able to watch and get through some of the newer stuff and just can't keep my interest. I know it keeps a lot of people's interest, but... Not near as many because his ratings are down too. Yeah. We were talking about Tojo the other week and his chops, his vicious chops, and uh, it being so believable, but if you looked at it from a different view, a little short guy, kind of pudgy... But when he got in there, you believed that he was absolutely, his chops were going to knock down. Right, because nobody was knocking him. Yeah. That, that is the, the whole thing back in the, 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 the... See, we all know John Wayne didn't punch you in the chin and knock you out. But it looked like he did. And the guy directing the movie made it sure that the camera angle was done exactly friggin' right. So when John Wayne punched you, it looked like he knocked your head off. That, and, and Jerry Jarrett, when I first come here, came to every TV, and he sat and watched it. And if you did anything stupid, or anything that wasn't believable, he would come and tell you about it. And that way then you learn the, the biggest, how can I say this? 
because who I'm going to say it about is that the biggest screw up or the screw off that was in Jarek Sterry was law. He would think shit was funny. It wasn't funny, and he would do ribs on people. It was so. But he was a hell of a teller, and he could work. So what you, you could, you know what I mean? So how can you knock the guy that draws your money? And Jerry Jarrett was all about money. So he would put up with a lot of, a lot of antics, I guess you could call it, because they, were, they drew money. But Jerry Jarrett, when he was building his own territory, had it by the throat and he wasn't about to let go. And that, that's what you had to do. He would tell you shit that you did wrong and he would lay out the angles. You, you can't just, and we hate to be picking on Lawler here, but Lawler would show up at TV and write it. You can't do that. Show up the day of a live TV show. Yeah, show up Saturday morning and write it. No, he's a talented guy and he's an artist and he's all kinds of clever things, but you can't write an hour and a half TV show and make it... You get away with it once or twice, maybe. But when I did it, it would take a week. Sometimes tear it up on Friday night and rewrite it. So Jerry Jarrett was the same way, and I owed everything that I got to Jerry Jarrett. I mean, I can't say that. Yeah, I get mad at him. He gets mad at me sometimes or do the thing. But everybody doesn't see eye to eye all the time. But everything I know about the wrestling business, he taught it to me. I told you about the guy in Australia, Bobby Shane, and he told me and George Barnes, when you get to Tennessee, find Jerry Jarrett and tell him you came here to work for him. And I didn't quite get that then, but as I, the years go by and I know Jarrett's personality, I knew what that meant. So we did that. We went up to Jarrett's big old, it was a big house, but it wasn't the great big house that he ended up building, but it was still a 3,000 square foot home that he had in Hendersonville. So we went up there, talked to him and said, hey, we're, we're here, whatever you want, we're here to work for you. That was the words he was waiting to hear. So he pushed us like the house of fire and we got over like nobody's business. Everybody made money. So Jerry Jarrett, when he is on, what's the word? When he is on the wrestling business and he is thinking about it, that's all he's thinking about. And, and he's very good at it. And everything I learned about it, he kind of taught it to me. I mean, he, I, would tell, I told you that day, I told him, hey man, I want to be the booker. He said, be the booker? What do you know about being the booker? Oh, nothing. So he said, well, I'll tell you what, you go get your book and a pencil and be at my office Monday morning. So I did that, showed up Monday morning. So he said, right. Huh? What? <clears throat> right? Right what? So anyway, he, he kind of, he had a little fun with me on that thing. He said, well, Bill, this job's not near as easy as you think it is. So he said, this is the first thing you got to do. So the, the, your crew, you have your heels, you have your baby faces, you have five heels, five baby faces, six heels, six whatever you have, and then you gotta get them paid off. And then you go sit and watch them all, how they work, how they do this, how they do that, what they do, what they don't do, and all the other things, how they talk, how they don't talk. 
and then four or five years down the road you can call yourself the booker. <laughs> well, that hard? He said, that hard. So everything I got or everything I did in the wrestling business, the three years I had at Watts, I got to give Jerry Jarrett a lot of the credit because he's the one that told Watts to book me and he had already worked with me for four or five years teaching me what to do in the office. <coughs> That's what them kids today think. They, they have no clue how hard it is to be the booker and make money at it. It's, it's a 24-hour-a-day job, seven days a week. It's your whole life. You live it. <clears throat> you live it. Hey, Bill, I, I don't want to stir the pot, but I'm going to have to go back to the comments about Lawler. Um, I guess I, I'm hoping he takes that negatively. And is that, is that me just hoping or for one more rodeo or one more go around the block with you and him or like all the fans out there? Because that, that was Memphis wrestling. That's why everybody... Yeah, I think when one of us gets ready to retire, it has to be come to an end. And I think he would work with me for whatever we could run it, a month, two months, three months, and whatever happened at the end. I mean, I don't know how his health is. I know how mine is. It's very good, and I still go to the gym every day and work out and do that. I don't think he does that. But that's good enough. Wait a minute, do. somebody, they, they float around for years that they never saw him in a gym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, so it, it, would, it, it, would, be, it would be, and, and I would work and he would work, and if we made a few dollars, good luck to us. I think the people may want to see it. Well, call me the devil, but uh, I, might, I might make sure this gets sent to the right places. Uh, get back to what we were talking about. I guess what I'm, I'm thinking with the new wrestling, there it's so far and few between between the people that stick out in mind and catch your attention, have longevity. When you were booking, when people came to Memphis, did, did how much of them came and showed up with their own ideas or gimmicks or, I mean, a lot of those guys with their personality, I mean, came through the screen at you, so that's why it took. Yeah, it was yeah. from the heart. So right, um, like handsome Jimmy. One of the best stalkers in the business and one of the, the worst workers in the business. And I don't mean that bad, handsome, but you know it's true as well as I do. You could talk like the devil and, and he doesn't really know the difference between a wrist watch and a wrist lock. But he never preferred to do that. He never professed to do that. He, he was just handsome Jimmy, talked them into the arena. And then when we got him there, we worry about bringing him back next week. So... There's a lot to be in the booker. And, and you, you have five, six matches on the card, you're in charge of them all. I was, and, you know, I mean, and Jerry Jarrett was. So, and when I was in Louisiana, I mean, I had Big Bill Watts. Well, you don't like it, go see Watts. You know, I was real tough then. I had a 300 pound must <laughs> tell them, well, go see Watts. So nobody ever went, but yeah, it, it it's, I guess it would be like writing a movie every week. You know, you you were at a, a autograph signing earlier with Coco Ware and Dave Brown, and somebody actually said to Dave, "Thank you for getting us all over, and you and Lance putting putting everybody over so well." I guess that was a key element. Yeah, I mean, and I brought up the fact that Gordon Soley. Mm -hmm. Gordon Soley was a far better announcer than Lance Russell and Dave Brown, knowing 
the holds, knowing what they did, knowing if what what the actual hold was, but he had no real personality to get a young guy over it can't say shit with with a mouthful of it. So Gordon was a different kind of guy. Lance and Dave to me made you feel comfortable and they they were comfortable at what they did and they made you feel comfortable. Well you know how it is, if you're comfortable you can talk. Right. If your mum and dad's mad at you when you're a kid and they're screaming and hollering at you and you you, look, you, you, you don't know what to say. But if they calm you down, take calm down, kid, do, do, did you steal your brother's apple? You can get an answer out of him from that. And Lance and Dave was very good at bringing, well, I know with me. Barnes could talk better than me when we first got here and they, they would talk mainly to Barnes, but sometimes Lance would say, now we talk to Billy. Huh? <laughs> and he would drag it out of me. And then when George left and I was on my lonesome, you just learned. And, and, but Lance drug, drug the interview out of me. He would just talk, you know, and, and, that, and that's how it is. Somebody has to help you in this business. Getting in it, and then what you do once you're in it, and then if you ever get to work on top somewhere, they have to coach you on that too. You, it, it's it's a lot harder than people think it is. You know, there were guys that came through Memphis that, that made it other places and we could probably go through and find a lot of names that shined here but didn't go anywhere else. It seemed that y'all had the magic. Y'all can make that personality if they couldn't work, if they can, whatever. Right. You brought out the best in them for that time and made it believable. Well, Troy Graham, the dream machine. He was Troy Graham for years. 250 pound fat guy. And we put a mask on him, called him the dream machine. And he went out there, he danced and did all the silly shit that he did. And he was over like Rover, Absolutely. same guy. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, you got to capture the people's imagination. Like Handsome Jimmy, Handsome Jimmy, he didn't say nothing. It, you, when he talked, only but it, it didn't make no sense. But the people liked it. Ate it up. Yeah. The the <clears throat> you said Lawler got the TV a live show and kind of winged it. Were there special challenges? Had to be the, the the live TV of it. Sending a guy out that may not be ready to talk, or getting lost. And, and I know that Dave and Lance kind of kept them in in between the two lines, but um, that had to be kind of scary or challenging, a lot of pressure. Well, you would hope that this wouldn't cuss. That that was your main thing, and then somebody green sending them out there and them saying the wrong words. And, and you know, you, you, you'd, because I don't care who you are, two men sitting around or four men sitting around talking, they will cuss. Well, why Get worked up. Yeah, why wouldn't you cuss on that 90-minute show? But we didn't, we all knew it was a TV show and we had it in your head and I think Gorgeous George called me chicken shit one time. That was the most I ever, bad words anybody said. He said, Lance Russell, Bill Dundee's just chicken shit. And Lance took the microphone 
he was holding up in George's mouth, and then he took it, he stuck it under his arm. And it's funny, he's standing there with that stuff under his arm. I thought, oh my God. And then I thought, what, I have to say something. So I said, Lance, did he say what I thought he said? And he went, hmm. <laughs> So that's the only time I heard a, a real cuss word on there. If a guy went out there and completely screwed up the program that you had in mind or was crazy and went into business for herself and you didn't like what he said, what, what would you have done in that live show? Oh, I would have filled the ring up the heels. You'd have just made something happen? And... Yeah, just made something. just beat the shit out of the guy. I mean, it would never have, you know, it, if, if they're screwing up your TV and it's not going right, just... Fill it up with heels and beat him up. It happens in a work way anyway. Thinking of that, uh, gave a lot of, a lot of just starting out guys a, a chance to come out and work the opening matches and be feed for for the the TV show. Um, took a chance on a lot of guys, and some guys got in there and and disappointed you. And some guys I hear those guys talk about they. Some some guys got a little rough with them and went ahead and ended it well, and got pissed yeah, off I mean, because they... You know what they're there for. And yeah. they know what they're there for. And if, if the guy can wrestle and, and the guy is just being a kind of a dick just to screw up the match, then, yeah, you can get a little rough with them. So if somebody got in there and thought, well, I'm going to show out for my girlfriend or yeah, something sitting right. at home, he, he got taught a lesson right there on, right. on live TV. It has to be that way. Yeah, it's the only way you kept control, I guess. Right. Thanks, bye!